Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In three, two, one. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie East, and this, this is the Sunday Seven. In today's brilliant episode, we hear about the barnacle-inspired glue that could one day be used by surgeons, how TikTok could be to blame for a rise in tick-like behaviour, and how antibodies could be used as a revolutionary form of non-hormonal contraception. But first, it was this day in 1992 that Mae Jemison became the first African-American woman to go into space. 29 years later, NASA astronaut Jeanette Epps is set to become the first black female crew member on the International Space Station. This, Justin, you are looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. CNN Yesterday right marked now, the 20th anniversary of the horrific September the 11th attacks on the United States. Although two decades have passed, many of the scars from that day are still healing, and today many first responders are struggling with the long-term health effects of breathing in the toxic dust that coated ground zero and surrounding areas when the Twin Towers fell. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, at least 2,833 first responders and survivors have passed away from illnesses related to the site. This is Regis Hilaire, a former NYPD officer who was a first responder on the day. In 2005, he was diagnosed with thyroid and blood cancer at the age of just 34. Here he is talking to ABC News about his experience. The first phase was thyroid cancer. It just hit you really hard. You didn't know what to expect. And then when they did the surgery, the radiation, that's when we breathe a little bit better. And then um, did a bone marrow biopsy. They said it's multiple myeloma. I just couldn't believe it. Like another one in less than a year. So that was phase two. And I, that was probably the darkest period where I felt almost blamed for going there, but also felt like that was my job. I had to do it. So finally it became acceptance 15 years later it's become uh, asymptomatic so i'm really grateful because i knew others that passed away from uh, the same type of cancer i had recognizing the serious nature of the environmental exposures at ground zero the new york-based mount sinai hospital immediately began developing a medical screening program to evaluate the health of 9-11 responders and in 2010 the world trade center health program was established which provides free medical monitoring treatment mental health services and benefits like counseling Dr. Michael Crane, medical director for the World Trade Center Clinical Program, talked about his experience seeing first responders dealing with these medical complications after putting their lives on the line. There are numerous cancers uh, that develop in World Trade Center responders, and certainly blood cancers and thyroid cancers um, are one are among them. Um, I, I want to point out that just recently uh, there's a paper that's come out that has kind of underscored the importance of the program and the success of the program in reducing cancer mortality and improving the survival of cancer patients. Um, and that's in, in part a tribute to the fact that we're dealing with a previously very healthy population and they have tremendous um, internal resources, uh, obviously a supportive family, and that's all very important. 
but I think the program also has really contributed to um, the, the longer survival of, of these patients. We do expect uh, the, the prevalent illnesses to change a bit. Um, we're not exactly sure what is coming. Um, however, uh, we are prepared, uh, just like we were prepared in uh, meeting cancer, to deal with whatever the responders bring, which is related to world trade. If you're not particularly up to speed with the events around 9-11, we've created a special bonus episode called The Smarter 7. It gives you everything you need to know. Just search for it in your Smart 7 podcast feed. From the aerodynamic design of bullet trains to the revolutionary fastening system of Velcro, engineers have always turned to nature to tackle some of the world's biggest challenges. Now over at MIT, engineers at the world-renowned institute are looking in the same place to solve one of our deadliest problems, excessive bleeding. About 1.9 million people die every year from blood loss, sometimes from trauma, sometimes on the operating table. At MIT, a group of very smart engineers have taken inspiration from the common barnacle to create a hydrogel, a type of glue that could potentially revolutionise the way we treat bleeding. So far, they've tested it on the bleeding hearts and livers of rats and pigs with very positive results, so we caught up with the lead researcher to find out a bit more. My name is Henry Yug, and currently a research scientist at MIT Mechanical Engineering Department. So you were first inspired to approach bleeding in this way by barnacles. Why barnacles? What's so special about them? The barnacle is really stands out as the thing that can be found everywhere. Like not only underwater, but a super rusty steel, uh, like the most covered animal skin is literally on everywhere. That means that it's not only working well with the wet environment, but it also really doesn't care how dirty the surface it is. And that's crucial in a medical setting. To Hianu, blood is a contaminated fluid because it's not a homogenous liquid, it's filled with blood cells. For an adhesive to work, you've got to shove those cells out of the way. And when you're dealing with blood and other wet things that come from the body, things just don't want to stick together. But barnacles are able to avoid that. Using an oily substance, they're able to repel water from underneath them before excreting the stuff that helps them stick. So, although its composition looks very counterintuitive, but it's really working nicely in terms of uh, cleaning up the contaminated surface first before it can deal with the adhesion. We learn the mechanism, but we find out our own version of a sticky material, our own version of oily substances from the materials that are commonly utilized in medical devices. So how do you envisage this technology is going to be utilized once it's approved? We are currently considering that will be the first beneficiary of this thing will be the in operating room applications. But uh, broadly, it will be also going to find the use uh, in traumatic applications because what other things that we care is it's easy to use and it's cheap, etc. So there are a lot of bleeding situations in uh, like outside of hospital injuries because people got a car crash, like knife stepping or gun wound, or even in military settings. And in those traumatic injuries, uncontrolled bleeding is still the first because of that. It's early days for the technology still, but it's clearly very promising. We can't wait to see it on the market. Still to come on the Sunday 7, is social media causing ticks in Gen Z women and a radical new form of birth control could be on its way. So I developed a tick disorder during the pandemic and I thought that it was Lexapro that did me in because there's some research on that. But I just learned that the isolation of the pandemic has been causing a massive outbreak of Tourette's symptoms in girls. 
if this pandemic ruins one more thing for me, <laughs> I'm gonna lose it. That's Alex Turnquist. As you can hear in her TikTok from March this year, seemingly out of nowhere, she developed a tick during the pandemic. It may sound odd, but she's not alone. Doctors who specialise in tick disorders have seen referrals balloon from 1-5% to of total cases pre-pandemic to 20-35% to of them now. This is something that Tamara Pringsheim, a neurologist at the University of Calgary, Canada, also observed. She runs the Tourette's Clinic in the Alberta Children's Hospital and starting in autumn 2020, she began seeing an increase in young women who were developing the rapid and sudden onset of tick-like behaviours. Many of these young people had been exposed to videos, mainly on TikTok, of other young people with tick-like behaviours. We saw many commonalities in the symptoms that these young people were having and the symptoms that were being demonstrated on social media. Whilst it's easy to point the finger at social media platforms, Tamara emphasises that that's not the only factor at play here. You know, many people can watch the video and never develop ticks. I'd say that there are, there are individuals who have an, a pre-existing anxiety or mood disorder or who are psychologically distressed in whom seeing these videos can be very influential. So if it's not social media alone, what are the driving factors behind this rise of Tourette's-like ticks in young people? Researchers think the ticks could be the result of a perfect storm of reduced social interaction and increased social media use at a time of crucial development. I feel that if there wasn't a pandemic and there wasn't the pandemic-related restrictions, that perhaps uh, this would not have happened. Now, at this point, you'd be forgiven for making an association between the ticks we're discussing here and Tourette's syndrome, the most widely known tick disorder. But that's not what we're seeing. Instead, Tamara calls these ticks functional neurological symptoms. Functional neurological symptoms are neurological symptoms that are not due to a demonstrated abnormality of the nervous system. As Tamara sees it, it's more of an issue with software rather than hardware. Functional neurological symptoms are nothing new, but... What's new is that until the past year, the presentation of functional neurological symptoms as tics was very uncommon. It was much more common that we would see functional seizures or functional weakness. So that increase in tics... Uh, we think is likely related to the increase in modelling. While Tourette's patients skew male, these referrals were nearly all girls and young women who tended to also have anxiety or a mood disorder. And they also suffered more extreme symptoms than Tourette's patients. I think it just really reinforces that um, people need each other uh, and that, you know, while 18 months may not feel like a long time. When you're middle-aged, it is an eternity to a young person. They're trying to protect others by not meeting, but it takes a large psychological toll. Over the millennia, people have come up with some very effective ways to avoid having babies. Before latex condoms, the ancient Egyptians and Greeks used linen sheaths and animal bladders. But now scientists at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill are using the precision targeting of monoclonal antibodies for a new type of female contraception. 
I'm Bhavna Shrestha. My research focuses on engineering monoclonal antibodies for contraception and STI therapeutics. Monoclonal antibodies are known for their ability to fight off invading germs and are currently being used as a COVID-19 treatment. Scientists are now looking at a new mission for the antibodies, immobilising sperm before it can reach an egg. This isn't the first time that researchers have looked at the antibodies for this. A few decades ago, a group from Japan isolated a sperm-binding antibody from a healthy but infertile woman. Now the UNC Chapel Hill researchers are engineering those to become more potent and more stable. These sperm-binding monoclonal antibodies prevent pregnancies by cross-linking vigorously motile sperm into chains or clusters that are unable to move forward in mucus subsequently preventing sperm from reaching the egg for fertilisation. So how successful were these antibodies? Well, during animal testing, researchers found that engineered monoclonal antibodies effectively trapped and blocked more than 99.9% of human sperm. That's better than some contraceptives on the market today. If you're not someone who has experience of using birth control, you might be asking why any of this is even necessary. Due to the side effects of hormonal contraceptives, many women, including me, choose not only to discontinue their use, but also abstain from all hormone-based contraceptives, which are associated with plethora of side effects, such as acne, pelvic pain, mood disorders, etc. As an alternative to hormonal contraceptives, there are very limited choices. Copper IUD is more effective than barrier method, like condom, but it has a low rate of adoption among women due to a prominent side effect of excessive menstrual bleeding. Contraceptive monoclonal antibodies are likely to be exceptionally safe due to the specificity of targeting. Additionally, with our experimental birth control, we are not altering physiological mechanism underpinning fertility such as hormones. But instead, we are simply reinforcing the vaginal mucus barrier that is continuously secreted and cleared naturally. Still to come on the Sunday 7, could llamas be the key to better COVID vaccines and the worrying new health effects of climate change? Right after this. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're listening to The Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. This week, news broke that Sarah Harding, the Girls Aloud star, died aged 39 after being diagnosed with breast cancer. According to stats from Cancer Research UK and Breast Cancer Now, one in seven women will be affected by it in their lifetime and around 2,300 women are diagnosed aged 39 or under. It's the second leading cause of cancer death in women, but doctors like Nayat Arif agree that examining your breasts regularly can help pick up early symptoms. She joined BBC Breakfast to explain how and what to look out for. 
seconds. All I need you to do is just examine yourself. Three pops of your fingers around the breast tissue, men and women, because men can get cancer as well. Looking for skin changes, feel around the nipple, go underneath the armpit, have a feel for lumps and bumps as well. Because if you feel a lump, if you see skin changes, discharge from the nipple, if you've got lumps in the armpit or around your neck that is new to you, we should be getting that looked at. But also, it just highlights with Sarah Harding that actually, you know, we need to be picking up symptoms early. We need to be diagnosing early. And if you can examine yourself, feel a lump, please, please don't hesitate to call the doctor because we will see you and we are open and you will get a face-to-face. And also at this time, if anyone's, you know, sparked their grief, because I'm dealing with grief a lot in general practice as well, um, the Good Grief Trust has lots of information out there. But please, please don't grieve alone because the COVID pandemic has hit a lot of families in regards to this. It's no secret that climate change is bad news for pretty much everyone that calls this floating blue planet home. Scientists already have evidence that it's exacerbating extreme weather, eroding ecosystems and displacing thousands of people from their homes. But a new report from the Economist Intelligence Unit has unveiled that climate change could now be impacting our health in new and worrying ways. As we slowly emerge from COVID, climate change could be the next big respiratory health crisis, with most people still unaware of the risks. The study commissioned by the international research-focused healthcare group Chiesi rings a warning bell to highlight the need to prevent this avoidable major health catastrophe in the future and promote greater understanding and collaboration between sustainability and health experts so that everyone steps up to play their part. To find out more, we spoke with Tom Delahoyd, MD of Chiesi UK. Tom, how's this climate change affecting our health today? We've seen it just recently, the higher temperatures, the extreme weather and pollen. In terms of the higher temperatures, higher temperatures are contributing to an increase in ozone, heat waves and pollen levels. Now, ozone is a key contributor to deaths for those with respiratory disease and it causes new cases for many patients. Heat wave related issues particularly impact people aged 65 and over and those with underlying respiratory conditions such as COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and asthma and increased pollen levels worsen conditions like hay fever or asthma and can also cause illness in previously healthy people. This climate crisis actually exacerbates inequality with disadvantaged communities most affected because the lower socio-economic groups tend to have poorer overall health outcomes and they tend to more likely live in poorer areas where air pollution tends to be worse. And then finally, just to quickly mention pollen. Climate change is causing longer pollen seasons and making allergies worse. And for example, some of the storms we've seen actually fracture the pollen particles into allergen microparticles. These microparticles can then penetrate lower airways to cause really serious problems for people with respiratory disease and they cause also the onset of respiratory conditions. And what recommendations were made off the back of the report? There's a lot we can do but what we really think needs to happen is that policymakers need to work very very closely with healthcare professionals but also with industry. We have got our 
placed our part to play here. So we need to get a really joined up approach and urgently look at what we can do to help people with respiratory conditions. Here's a question for you that you don't get asked every day. Can the antibodies from llamas help the fight against COVID? Well, it's been a busy few weeks for the Camelidae animal family. Last month, Geronimo the alpaca was front page news for his highly controversial euthanization after testing positive for TB. And now antibodies from his llama cousins could soon help supplement COVID-19 vaccines. Researchers from the Belgian Gant University Centre for Medical Biotechnology are saying that antibodies extracted from a llama called Winter have blunted the virulence of COVID infections in lab testing. The recently developed tech wouldn't replace vaccines, but as Professor Nico Callawert from Gant University explained to Reuters News, the antibodies would supplement them, helping to protect people with weaker immune systems. Llamas have a particular kind of sec- the second kind of antibody as compared to humans, for example. They're called heavy chain only antibodies, so they're much more simple than the ones that we have. And because of that, we can easily take a little snippet of that protein and glue it up to other proteins. It's like a a bit like Lego of proteins that you can do with them much more easily than with our antibodies. So that's the reason why we're using uh, them. There has been a discovery about 30 years ago at the University of Brussels. Um, which now that department is also part of our institute, so we have a long tradition with working with these kind of antibodies. Why llamas have such kind of antibodies is an open question, I think. The researchers also say that their early studies show that the antibodies are effective against several variants of the disease, including Delta. So this could be a game-changer if trials are successful. This has been The Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odour control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.